the U.S. Justice Department charges Russians with waging an information warfare campaign against the United States. And Australia's new real-time payment system may have a privacy problem. These stories and more, coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz. The U.S. Department of Justice on February 16th unsealed an indictment that charges 13 Russian individuals and three Russian companies with interfering in the U.S. political system. The defendants allegedly conducted what they called information warfare against the United States with the stated goal of spreading distrust towards the candidates and the political system in general. That's Deputy Attorney General Rob Rosenstein announcing the indictment, which arrived 13 months after the U.S. intelligence community warned that Moscow had interfered in the 2016 U.S. elections. That lag has prompted some to ask, what took so long? It's about time. That's Tom Kellerman, an expert on hack attacks, including campaigns tied to the Russian government. To be clear, this particular indictment does not mention targeted hack attacks. Instead, it describes an information warfare campaign designed to use America's social media channels against it. Deputy AG Rosenstein said the operation was run by a company in St. Petersburg, Russia, called the Internet Research Agency, which was bankrolled by a Russian oligarch with ties to President Vladimir Putin. The operation was sophisticated and went to great efforts to disguise its identity. In order to hide the Russian origins of their activities, the defendants allegedly purchased space on computer servers located here in the United States in order to set up a virtual private network. The defendants allegedly used that infrastructure to establish hundreds of accounts on social media networks such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, making it appear that those accounts were controlled by persons located in the United States. They used stolen or fictitious American identities, fraudulent bank accounts, and false identification documents. The defendants posed as politically and socially active Americans, advocating for and against particular candidates. They established social media pages and groups to communicate with unwitting Americans. The White House has responded to the indictment by noting that it does not suggest that any Americans, including the Trump campaign, knowingly worked with the Russians. It also claims the interference didn't have any real-world impact. Here's White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. One of the places where you guys seem to get very confused, uh, and it seems to happen regularly, the president hasn't said that Russia didn't meddle. What he's saying it is it didn't have an impact, and it certainly wasn't with help from the Trump campaign. In terms of Russian operations, experts say the Internet Research Agency is only one piece of a larger puzzle. Here's Kellerman. As someone who's been watching closely the Russian cyber threat to the United States of America since 2013, um, there was an overarching campaign named Pawnstorm that leveraged um, hacker talent from the cybercrime industry as essentially government assets to target not only the 2,300 most powerful people in the U.S., but then to use information about how our political process works to undermine our capacity to understand truth during the election cycle. Kellerman says, like hacking, information warfare is only one tool in the Russian government's arsenal. And this type of information warfare was the child of a doctrine espoused by General Gerasimov when he spoke at a Dead Sea resort 
about the importance of digital warfare and how warfare is, is on a continuum and it doesn't need to be kinetic all the time and that you can destabilize and destroy nation states through cyber attack versus having to deploy troops. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Next, ISMG's Jeremy Kirk rounds up a privacy risk posed by Australia's new real-time payments system. Australia's real-time payments platform launched last week, but it's already sparked a privacy concern. At issue is a feature that ironically is designed to reduce fraud and erroneous payments, but some believe it could open up people to social engineering attacks. The feature is called PayID, and it's part of the new payments platform, which settles domestic bank-to-bank payments in seconds. When the payer enters a pay ID, such as a phone number, into a banking application, it shows the name of the person the pay ID is assigned to. That helps assure people that the payment, which is irreversible in real time, is going to the right recipient. But a Melbourne-based software developer found he could enter random phone numbers and discover the names of people connected with those pay IDs. Anthony Roberts tweeted his findings, including the names of people, which caused a stir. The problem is classified as a user enumeration issue, and depending on context, it can sometimes be viewed as a vulnerability. Australian data breach expert Troy Hunt says there's a usability benefit in being able to see the name of someone assigned to a pay ID, but it comes at a price. But then you are trading off some privacy, and no matter how much they sugarcoat it, it is a privacy trade-off because you can pull someone else's data, and we've just seen a bunch of tweets on that. New Payments Platform Australia says security and fraud was absolutely in mind when designing the system, but a statement from the organization characterized what played out on Twitter as unfortunate. Roberts also took it further. After obtaining two names from random phone numbers, he found their Facebook accounts, which opens up possibilities for social engineering attacks. So is this dangerous? Arguably, it's a minor risk. But identity thieves are good at pulling at these kinds of threads. Steve Wilson is a vice president and principal analyst at Constellation Research. He says bits of personal data in isolation may not prove a privacy risk, but the information could be collated into a more useful portfolio. Certainly, identity thieves are really good at triangulating different snippets of information and, in fact, stockpiling information. We know that identity thieves tend to put together portfolios on people, and they're very patient. You know, they could take months and years even to do this. The good news is that setting up a pay ID is entirely voluntary. It's up to users to evaluate if the usability of pay ID trumps the privacy concern. But Robert's findings show the possible greater impacts of seemingly innocuous features. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Next, a data breach case that could have reached the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm joined by my colleague, Marianne McGee, editor of Healthcare Info Security. Marianne, welcome, and tell me what didn't happen this week. Well, the Supreme Court basically denied the chance to review a data breach case uh, that's been going on here now for a couple of years uh, involving CareFirst, um, which is a health plan. The bottom line was that they had a breach in 2014 that affected more than one million people. As always, we saw a class action suit get filed. A lower court dismissed the case saying that they did not see uh, standing for the risk of future injury to plaintiffs. It was too speculative. But an appellate court 
ended up reversing that decision. And what happened was Care First stepped in and said, hey, let's, let's have the Supreme Court review this before this thing might have to return to trial. And indeed, the Supreme Court said, nah, that's okay. We'll, we'll take a pass on this. And so now the court case is back to the lower court where this whole breach case could be played out. What precedent might this set? Basically, what the appellate court noted when it reversed the decision by the lower court to dismiss the case, the appellate court noted that the data breach potentially exposed victims to a heightened risk of identity theft. What happens next? We'll see how this this goes. Um, We've had so many class action suits and breach cases dismissed. In a few cases, we've seen them settle. And the question is now whether or not this case will indeed go to trial or maybe care first will choose to settle we'll have to see if this case does go to uh, settlement we we have seen other examples where plaintiffs have been reimbursed for the money that should have been spent out of their premiums by the breached organization in that breach organization security programs that maybe, you know, if you did, if you would have spent more money on this, this might have not happened. No victims are getting rich off these settlements, are they? In those cases, they only got like a few bucks. But the point was that, okay, there was an acknowledgement that this company that was breached didn't do something that possibly led to the data breach, which potentially could impact people moving forward. Marianne, thanks so much for your time and insights today. Thanks, Matt. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time.